0: All right, morning, everyone. Good to see you once again, and appreciate, again, the church, your faithfulness to come on a restriction kind of Sunday, but uh, we're glad, again, that we can be here, and we're going to turn our Bibles to Esther chapter 4. We'll, we'll remain there for the majority of our, of our um, sermon this morning, but I'm glad, again, that we can have an opportunity to, uh, to be here for another Sunday, and it's nice to see all the family sitting together including the teenagers sitting with their parents. That's good. And they feel, I'm sure, forced to do that. Uh, but uh, it's good to see that um, this morning. But uh, we read in Esther chapter 4 um, a couple of verses there. We, we really could have read the whole chapter, and we will refer really to a couple of portions of Scripture here. But, you know, we're, we're living in a unique time, aren't we? You know, you could just look around and and already understand it's unique. You are all, you know, wearing masks and different things, and having to check in to get into church. And um, we're just we're just having to adjust it seemingly over the course of um, a few days. And the reality is that that this this time that we have is is our time. And regardless of the fact that that we might have unique conditions, we understand that there's still an expectation from the Lord that we are to serve Him that we are to make most of the time that we have um, for his glory and for his work. And, um, you know, we read about Esther, and, and perhaps you're familiar with her story. There she was in captivity, displaced really from uh, her place of, of origin there in Israel. They were taken captive by this, uh, this enemy force. And, and here she was, placed in a bit of a situation where really she was placed in a prominent uh, position, she was chosen because of her beauty to be the queen, and um, no doubt uh, she probably wondered what her life was going to be all about. And and yet we understand, if you have read through the book of Esther, um, how God, in His sovereignty, how God, in His, um, in His, in His planning and in His will, placed Esther for such a time as this. And I think we we sometimes. Uh, we, we hear the, that phrase for such a time as this and we sort of attribute that to esther but it was actually Mordecai that spoke that to Esther it was actually a challenge to her about about the, the fact that they were she was their position for this great need and she was a time she was born in a time when when she was actually greatly needed she was needed for her time she had to be a steward of that opportunity that God gave her and I want to remind you this morning that actually whilst we're here, this is our stewardship that we're supposed to do for the Lord. Our time here we weren't born um, we weren't born in another century, we weren't born in another time. we weren't born in Esther's time we were here now and it's it's this time now that God expects us to use for his work and God has in his placement given you this time to uh, to really, um, to really serve Him, and I hope that's your desire. I hope that all of these things that you know, all of these things that are, are happening right now, all the limitations that we might have, uh, that doesn't discourage us from the fact that we ought to steward the generation that we're, we're in now. You know, even David, the Bible says about David that he served his generation, and then the next few words by the will of God. You, you understand that that this generation that we have, you look around you, this is, God's will for you right now is to serve this generation. We're supposed to serve Him now and we're born for this season. And it's imperative for us to understand that each generation and each era needs God's people to recognize that they're born to make a difference. You know, I think sometimes we can look at uh, years gone by and again, sort of, wish it was in those conditions. But understand that each era, God has placed His people to do something for Him. You're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. And you might wish it was another time, and you might wish it was different conditions, but you have now, and we have now. And God equipped Esther to to do what she was supposed to do, and God similarly will equip us. And just was, as Esther was placed to be used of the lord through her beauty we have our strengths and certain characteristics that are needful for this time you think about some of the uh, personalities that god highlights for us in his word we see esther had her beauty and if she wasn't born beautiful if she wasn't uh, she didn't catch the king's eye she wouldn't be in this position right now and some of you you're you maybe you're thinking well i have similar to esther i have beauty as well all right don't tell the person next to you all right but moses Moses had a rod. David, he had a sling. Samson, he had strength. He had a jawbone. Gideon, he had a pitcher and a torch. Solomon was given wisdom. Peter had a big mouth. Some of us can relate. Paul was a Roman citizen trained in the law. But all of these different personalities, God enabled, God equipped for their time. For their generation. And I want to I want to remind you this morning that God will use you, and God can use you in who you are. We don't have to think about being someone else. God will use you for who you are and He's going to equip you in that way. But there was a couple of things that, as we think about Esther and her story, and there was no doubt God put her there to be used. But she had to overcome some things. And and I think sometimes sometimes we don't recognize these things in our lives and and we don't see our lives used for the Lord. And I want to bring out these three things that Esther had to overcome to be used. And perhaps there's there's some of these things in our lives this morning. And I want to tell you that, that my desire for my life and my desire for the life of this church is that everyone would be used by God. I hope that you would ambition that. I hope that, that somewhat as you look at the season of your life that you're in and somewhat as you look at the, the, the time that we're living in, that you would recognize that God would want to use you. I have no doubt that in, this, uh, in a room this size, with a crowd this size, that there's some young people here this morning who God would call to the, to the gospel work. I have no doubt there's some of you who are sitting there and you're, 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 just being, you're just waiting, you're waiting for an opportunity. Can I tell you that the opportunity is now? God placed you now and God will have you to be used, but you've got to overcome some things. And Esther, as, as she was challenged by Mordecai, we're going to see that in their conversation, we're going to see a couple of things that she had to overcome. And so we're going to pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless as we get into the message this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for the time that we have, and Lord, recognize, dear Lord, this this special season we're in. We're in a unique time, and Lord, just like Lord, generations who have come and gone, Lord, you've you've just you've just expected, Lord, that we steward this time, and that, Lord, you would, in our generation, use us. And so I pray that you'd help, Lord, our church help us, dear God, to just, Lord, perhaps consider some of these things, and then. Help it, Lord, to just then be be highlighted, and then, Lord, in Your grace by Your power, be removed. And I pray that You'd help us, dear Lord, to just understand these things in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name, Amen. Notice verse five here this morning. And so, Mordecai, as you know, he was uh, it was Esther's uncle. He he was uh, he he heard of a plot to to assassinate the king. He was able to let the king know and. And so he was able to then be a trusted advisor. He had a he had an enemy called Haman who wanted to get rid of him, though. And he finds all of these things out. And and Haman in, in, his, um, in his desire to eliminate Mordecai plots uh, a way to eliminate him by killing his people, the Jews. So now that's the context of our story. Mordecai finds out that Haman wants to do. Uh, put put a law through to, to make sure that the Jews were wiped off the face of the earth. And isn't that a pattern over the years? Hasn't it been? And we see that that really Mordecai understands now the reason why Esther had to be in the king's court. And so he sends word to Esther about the situation. And notice with me in verse uh, verse 5, and this is now um now he sends a messenger named Haytak he says then called Esther for haytak one of the King's chamberlains whom he had appointed to, to attend upon her and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was so he he she sends a messenger Hatak, to Mordecai to to understand why he was mourning he was he when he heard of the plot to to kill all the Jews, to destroy the Jews, he, he did what the Jewish custom was. He rent his clothes and he mourned. He was in sackcloth and ashes and he was, he was behaving in a way that, that a mourning person would behave. And so Esther, in her, in her, to her credit, she looks at that and she wonders why that is. But she had no idea. She didn't understand the situation. She didn't understand why Mordecai was behaving that way. And here's a point I want to make. The, the question that, that Esther asked was really due to this. She had to overcome her ignorance. She didn't actually know what was happening. She didn't actually know that, that there was a plot against the Jews. And, and yet something told her that something was wrong with her uncle Mordecai. Something was up. And, and so she sends one of her uh, chamberlains to go there. And, and Esther was unaware of the problem and she was unaware of the opportunity. And, and many Christians, I think, live blissfully unaware of the need to step up. Th- this doesn't excuse them. You know, I, when we first arrived in Australia, I was, uh, I was seven years old. My sister was six. And, you know, I spoke a little bit more English, but she, she hardly spoke English. So we were going to a, a public school in Sydney, and we were, uh, you know, attending, attending different classes. She was a grade below me. And one of the one of the weeks, it was a, I think it was the second week of school. Irene came came home with an uh, an award. My mom was very surprised. You know, she got an award already, and and she got the award for most behaved. And so, of course, my parents were pleased. And so they asked Irene, "How did you get most behaved?" She said, "Well, I didn't understand anything they said, so I just sat there and smiled." <laughs> and Sometimes we can just be blissfully unaware that things are going on in our lives because we don't understand. We don't quite understand. We're, we're, we're perhaps a little unknowing of the situation where it really is. And, you know, sometimes we can, we can live life and sort of let it just pass us by and live with what we know, but there's other things that we should know. And sometimes we've got to overcome our ignorance. You know, Paul was that way. If you quickly turn to First Timothy chapter 1, notice what he said here, First Timothy chapter 1. If you know a little bit about the Apostle Paul, previous to his conversion, he was a, he, he, he was a passionate um, persecutor of the people of God, of the Christians. And notice verse 12, what he says, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that? He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And notice now, as he recounts the fact that Jesus has given him this calling, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly, in unbelief. So, because Paul was in unbelief, he he was he was passionately persecuting. He was a he was a real enemy of the church, and he did it out of zeal for his God, but actually God looked at that and it was out of ignorance. And now we know the story, Saul of Tarsus was on his way to again fulfill more persecutions and, and God kicks him off his beast and there he was and, and the Lord Jesus himself speaks to him. And he gets miraculously converted, and we know him now as the Apostle Paul who wrote the majority of our New Testament. But, but if you were to know, know Paul's history, you know, the, the only thing that changed that was he was ignorant, and then when he knew, it changed him. Some of us here this morning, you were for a long period of your life, you were just ignorant of the fact that there was a way of salvation. For a while, perhaps you even said things against God. Perhaps there were times where you even looked at the church and you looked at how people who go to church behave, and you go, you mean they give up Sundays to come to church? You mean they do that? You mean they give of their of their livelihood a percentage to, to fund the work? You, you mean some people leave their homeland to go to another place to tell others about some man they never met? some man they've never seen, some person that existed perhaps in history, and, and maybe that was you. But you did it out of ignorance. But once you understood the glorious gospel, boy, you got saved and you got changed. And, and you know, sometimes all we have to overcome is a little bit of unknowing. A little bit of, we're, we're just a little ignorant of what that is. And there's a difference though, Because some people they're willingly ignorant. Look at look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. And notice verses 3 to 5. 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 3, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. And so those who would scoff at the, the reality of Christ's return and saying. Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And notice verse 5, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. And so he goes on and he describes the reality of the creation has to evidence the reality of His coming promise. But he was saying there that there's those who knew the Scriptures, but they were willingly ignorant. They, they willingly ignored the, the reality of what the Word of God says. And you know, there's the, the sad reality is there's, there's Christians from all over our nation today who will sit there, who've been to church all their lives, but w- would have never been used by God who sat there with all of the, the gifts and the talents and the, the the enabling that God in His sovereignty has provided that person. And yet they, they would have just sat there all their lives and perhaps they're even saved, but they'll sit there all their lives and for many, many years, and it could be decades, be unchanged and be just like those who never heard. And the only reason is because they were willingly ignorant. They heard, but they didn't hear. They heard, but they were never changed. And there's a difference between being ignorant of your responsibility and being willingly ignorant. And we've got to be careful. And and here, Esther was ignorant of the problem. And she was ignorant of this, the opportunity that, that she actually had to solve it. And, and you know, she did something about it, though. She found out. You know, uh, you understand that God God's not opposed to our questions. In fact, God's not even intimidated by our questions. You know, sometimes what we do is we, we'd rather be happy in our ignorance. You know, that saying, ignorance is bliss. But, you know, much of God's Word is all about revealing to us the true conditions. The true condition of our, of our own heart. The true condition of, of humanity in its lost state. And the, true, the, the reality of our victory in Christ, you know, it, it's a good thing to find out. You know the great thing about our God is if we seek Him, we'll find Him. And she sought to know. You know, it reminds me of another character in the Bible, Nehemiah. You know, when Nehemiah got a report, when when Hananiah, one of his uh, one of his fellow countrymen, came back to report on what was happening in Jerusalem, he asked, "What what is the state of Jerusalem? What is happening in that city?" And you know, sometimes we'll we'll, we'll sit in in a in a time like this, and perhaps someone from the uh, who's who's a missionary, perhaps will will send a report, and we just sort of—it's just another missions report, and we never ask the question. Uh, perhaps some of you who, who are sitting here—you went to Long this week, and we ought to have an opportunity to ask you, hey, what was the conditions of Long What what happened there? What what can be done there? You know, when I was a kid, I was just um, as kids are very curious and i used to used to love remote control cars that was just my favorite toy i you know we lived in the countryside of the philippines when i was real young and we had we had we had my my parents my my mom's siblings who some of them lived in um in london some of them worked overseas and so from time to time they'd come back and i always asked for a remote control car and i was glad because they could afford it so so they would come back and they would, they would give me another one. But I always wondered how they worked. And in my little mind, I imagined that there was a little driver in there, you know, the, you know like um, with a little helmet and, and for however reason, that remote control communicated with that little guy in there. And I don't know how he got fed, it must have been why the batteries were there, but that's how I imagined it in my head. And so, until I got a little older and I started to take it apart, because, you know, all that time when I was a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, I was thinking, I need to find this little man and thank him for turning when I want him to turn. And, you know, I was doing that out of just curiosity. But I started to take that apart. I started to ask my dad, who really, by training, is an engineer. And so, he started to explain how radio frequencies work and how that can maneuver things at remote And so I began to understand that. But you know what it was? It was at least curiosity. It was at least understanding, trying to understand. And, and you know, the barrier of ignorance can be the stumbling block for many. Of just not wanting to know. And and really, sometimes we're just plainly, we're just unknowing of the problem. See, she asked to know what it was. Why why was Mordecai behaving that way? You know, have you ever asked yourself, why are Why do missionaries seem to just be so passionate? Have you ever seen those perhaps who just seem to be so, so gifted and then suddenly they surrender that and they go do something else for the Lord? You're asking, why are they behaving that way? Maybe you're wondering why some Christians seem to be so bothered by the world and the urgency of the mission. They seem to be so passionate, yet you sort of go, well, I'm not affected that way. You know, it's got to do with knowing that there's firstly an, a problem. There's an issue. I referred to Nehemiah earlier. Again, he, he's, he was concerned. And you know, it, it, would, it would do us all good if we were just Christians who were more concerned. If we were just concerned about the reality of the world that we live in. If we were just more concerned about some who it just seems to be. It just seems out of place the way they're they're handling things, and we just need to understand that again. Even in 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 the context of our the world around us, we, we live in a unique time. You know, there's an urgency. There's a problem. There's a lack of labourers. You understand that we we still have. If you look in the map at the back, ten the ten forty window. That whole region of the world where there's four point seven billion people where only 3% of the missionary force works and labors today. But if you do the maths, that's the majority of the world. You understand that, that, that there's towns and there's cities in Australia that's still in their downtowns. There's no, there's no gospel preaching church. And sometimes we, we rattle off those kind of statistics and it just doesn't sink in. But, but that's part of our inf, inf, informing. You understand that there's there's still towns out west that still need a gospel witness and and we had a group here that went this week. And I, I won't make you stand, but but some of you you came back and that was your first time further than your city and you got to see something and now you're you're just you're more knowing, you understand the problem. You understand, and I hope that you get a chance to at least vocalize, verbalize some of those things that you've learned. That's a good thing. But what I'm saying is there's a, there's, an un, there's a lack sometimes of understanding the problem in the first place. You know, if you, you were to sit and we were to talk about ministry in Australia, I'll tell you that a lot of our pastors are, are just aging. That there's no, there's no production line, so to speak, of those that will come behind them and there's there's not that 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 focus of perhaps training the next generation to come up and serve the way they should and and the reality is every generation is going to pass away but another one should follow but part of the not recognizing the problem not knowing the problem but you know when you don't know the problem you don't know what the opportunity is and what what Esther found out look at verse 8 so Mordecai tells uh, tells him about the um, the the issue with Haman, in verse eight. Also, he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. She was a Jew herself. She was placed in this time in this place specifically as we see God's plan unraveling for this very reason. And right there, because she understood the problem, then she was able to also understand the opportunity. You know, there's opportunities all around us today. There's opportunities to be used by God. There's opportunities to serve. There's opportunities in our church. There's opportunities in in, in different areas of our city. And, and you know, you understand that, that you won't know that if you don't understand that there's a problem in the first place. But once you do know that, please don't stop there. Understand that that's an opportunity for you. And there's an opportunity. And what Esther didn't realize, though, was her question was also helping her ignorance about her opportunity. You know, many times when we don't ask the right questions, we don't get the opportunities, we don't understand the opportunities. And and, and sometimes we become a little disengaged, you know, in a, in a setting like this where there's an active voice and active listening, sometimes it, it stops there. But we ought to walk away from a, a, every message and ask this question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's a, good, that's a good question to ask. Lord, what will you have me to do? What opportunities do I have? How can I help that? Is, is that something I ought to do? And ask good questions. You know, sometimes we, we come and we go and we get nothing really because we're not, we're, not, we're not understanding that this is for us. It's an actionable thing. And the opportunity came for Esther because she asked the questions. You know, many Christians can have greater opportunity for the Lord if they just ask those questions. If they weren't just settled on their unknowing if they weren't just settled on just being where they're at now but understanding that there's a problem understanding that you don't have to be unknowing you can know and so the first thing that she had to overcome was just simply ignorance and and there's i'm sure in a in a church like ours in a setting like this that many of you you know you know that when you go to work tomorrow that there's going to be those that are lost you know that there's that family that uh, is in our church, that's struggling, that, that you ought to do something. You ought to at least pray for them. You, you know that, that there's situations that perhaps you can help. And so don't stop at ignorance. Do something with what you know. But th- then here's, here's where sometimes, again, we're, 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 we need to overcome if we're going to be used. Not only did she have to overcome her, her, her ignorance, she had to also overcome her indifference. Because here's what happened in verse 11. Again, Verse 10, again, Esther spake unto Hattach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. And notice what she said. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of this to put him to death. Except such to whom the the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But notice what she says, but I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. You know what she effectively is saying? Well, I understand the problem. I understand that I'm placed here and I have some opportunity, but actually it's not now. I can't do it right. I haven't been called. You know, many Christians will say the same thing. I haven't been called. I haven't been called. No, no, we're all called. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. We're all called. We don't have to wait for a call. We're already called. And here Esther was saying, well, I'm not called because the king hasn't called me. It's, it's out of, outside of that, that period. And what she was, she was at this point, she was indifferent. She understood now. She was no longer ignorant of the problem. She was no longer ignorant of the opportunity, but she was indifferent. You know, often it's not in the knowing, but it's in the owning. Do we own? Do we take ownership of what we know? Do we take up our own responsibilities of things? Do we, do we look at that and do we take responsibility? See, there's a big difference between knowing about the problem and doing something about the problem. And Esther, at this point, had to overcome her own indifference. There are too many Christians who know about the problem. They've been taught, they've seen, they've heard, and yet they still don't pray, they still don't witness, they still don't give, and all along they have excuses, it's not what I'm called to do. You know, Jonah was a bit that way. Jonah understood his calling to Nineveh, but he was indifferent to it because it wasn't a people he liked. It wasn't something he wanted to do for God. You know, sometimes we're indifferent because what God tells us to do isn't something in, isn't in keeping with what we want to do, and so we're indifferent. And so the thing that we at times have to overcome is our indifference. You know, what she did, she gave an excuse of timing. So it's not the time yet. Esther was looking for the call for a call from the king. Esther was indifferent because she was waiting for the ideal time. And we spoke a little bit about that. You know, sometimes we forget that in this fallen world, there's never really going to be an ideal time. You know, some of you, again, you, you young people, you're waiting till you're older to serve God. Listen, serve God now. Some of you who are a little older, you're saying, well, now's my time to sort of just... No, listen, just serve God how you can. <laughs> you know when the best time is to serve God? Now. Not later. Not another time now. You only have one life it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And and listen church, we've got to not allow the excuse of timing to get in the way. We, that ought to not make us indifferent. You know, the Lord Jesus himself when he looked at the, the field and then the indifference that his disciples came with. He says, say not ye, there are yet four months. He says it's now ready for the harvest. He, he understood and he wanted them to lift up their eyes and see. And so we need, to, we need to understand that sometimes our indifference is because of an excuse of timing. But, you know, really it's just being unaffected. See, indifference comes when we feel we aren't in danger of the consequences. Because the argument that Esther, Esther had was valid. But Mordecai had to remind her, you're a Jew as well. <laughs> this affects you. This affects you. And you know, sometimes when we when, when we hear a message like this, we can sort of be indifferent because we think there's no consequences for us. Hey, listen, church, one day we're all going to give an account. So there will be consequences. There's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. And, and And church, one of the doctrines that strikes greatest fear in my heart is the fact that we're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to give an account. We're all going to stand before an all-knowing, almighty God, and he's going to ask us the question about what did you do with your life that I've given you? And boy, we're not going to lose our salvation, but but we might have a great loss of reward. We might see all of our life's work burn up. And boy, that's a frightful thing, and we better better be not unaffected by the things that we know, you know, the, in, in World War uh, II, the you understand that, that, that Franklin Roosevelt, he had the, the isolationist policy. You know, he didn't want America to get involved. And then what happened, there was a bombing of Pearl Harbor. He thought that if he just st- stayed out of it, he'd be unaffected. And you know many Christians they'll just sit on the sidelines because they think, "Well, I'll I'll be unaffected." Well, that that might be the case, preacher, but what's that got to do with me? Listen, it has all to do with you. Because we will. There will be consequences one day. And so you can't sit on the fence and think you won't be una- you won't be affected. See, Esther for a little while she thought she could just sit on the fence. She could just it wouldn't it wouldn't be a problem if she was just indifferent. But what she didn't understand was it, it. It did, and Mordecai had to remind her. And the last thing I want you to note: not only did she have to overcome her ignorance, not only did she have to come her, overcome her um, um, her uh, indifference, but also, lastly, notice verse sixteen. So the challenge given in verse fourteen. You know, if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews. So Mordecai had faith that if Esther didn't do it, God's people would do. God had a plan, he was saying. And then the challenge, um, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And so this was enough to challenge Esther. And verse 16, here's her message back Go gather together all the Jews. That are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. So she's saying, I'm putting my life at risk. And notice, this is actually this is her line. And if I perish, I perish. You know, we don't see much of that on a plaque somewhere. We see for such a time as this. And just for the benefit of our sound men, that's the title of the message, all right, for such a time as this. But, you know, she says, if I perish, I perish. That was actually Esther's line. It wasn't the other one. And th- this was her really revealing that she had to overcome, this is the last thing, her in- her own insecurities. She was fearful for her life. And-, and would you admit this morning, you know, for good reason, <laughs> this was the king who was... Really, the, the emperor of the known world at the time. And so you understand that she was, she, she was in a tenuous situation there. She was, a, she was really, from a human point of view, she was being reasonable. But you know, all of us here, we all have our own insecurities. And, and the last thing that we have to overcome is insecurities. She says, Go gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. And this was her attitude, if I perish... I perish. You know what that was? It was her letting go of her insecurity. She was saying, you know what, God's got me. And Esther had to come to a point where she had to overcome her insecurities. You know, another person in, in the Bible that I think of is Moses. You know, Moses, who was there in the backside of the wilderness, who was there for, you know, what he thought was going to be the rest of his life. And then God intervenes at the, the burning bush. And then finally, Moses understands he's got to go now. And then what does he say? Ah, oh, I'm not a good speaker. He says, I can't, I'm not an eloquent man. And then God had to remind him, who made the tongue? Who made that? God had to remind him, hey, listen, go tell him the great I am. <laughs> it's not about you, Moses. It's about who you serve. It's not about the, the shortcomings that you have because everyone has shortcomings. No, no, it's about, it's about what I have bid you to do. And we have to overcome our insecurities. I remember when I, when I first started in, in, in children's ministry, we, unfortunately at the time at the, at the church, I was only 14, we had a bit of a church split. And many of our leaders left who were a little older than I. They were all the, the children's ministry workers. They were all in their 18s, 19s, and 20s. And I remember the first Sunday we had Awana at that time. And we turned up and usually I just sort of turned up because my sisters were there. I remember the first time they said, Um, we need an Awana leader. Can you can you help? Can you actually lead the games and can you lead the can you give us a message? I was 14, not prepared. And I I was, I, I mentioned already to the church, I was the shyest young teenage boy you could ever meet. I think at 12, 13, I was still hiding behind my mom. All right? And she's not much. I mean, you've seen my mom. She's like, I mean, I hid behind her. I was already taller. But I had those insecurities. I was like, but I'm, I'm just a youth. And I'm not ready. I, I, don't, I can't do this. And all of us here, we have our own insecurities. I don't speak well. Well, I don't have enough time or, or whatever the case is. And in Mark ten twenty seven, Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. You Can I remind you this morning that we serve a God who is the God who can use anyone. You know, if he can use a donkey to rebuke a wayward prophet, he can use anyone. And, and, you know, if we look at ourselves and we see our limitations and our insecurities, then consequently what we do is we lose sight of an almighty God that we serve. And, you know, too many times we're too self-interested and self-focused. You know, if we would make a difference in our time, we've got to look at God and overcome our insecurities. You know, I, I think sometimes... Churches are insecure about their resources. Well, we can't do this because we, can't, we don't have that. Or we can't do this because, you know, there's, there's just not enough in the, for that. And I think as Christians, we can be insecure about our number, our lack. But our eyes, it needs to gaze upon a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills we need to look at the, the fact that he sits on the throne of heaven full of power and majesty. And we need to look to Jesus who overcame death and rose again. And that's the power we have. You know, we all have limitations. But we have a God who's unlimited. And Esther understood that at the end this wasn't about her. It was God using her for her time. And, and you know, the interesting thing about the book of Esther God is not mentioned once, but it is the most evident that he is there. And you're going to look at your life, if you just follow God, and if you just overcome your insecurities, and you're going to look back at what God has done, and in those moments you may have even questioned whether God was there. But in all honesty, you look back and God was all over the place. But you've got to overcome your, your ignorance, your indifference, and your insecurities. You know what she had to do. She had to subdue her flesh. And all of us here, the reasons why we have insecurities is we, we have our flesh. We we, we have this thing that we have to overcome. And you know how she did this. She said, "Fast ye for me." She understood that that there was a, this was beyond her her physical means to do this. This was a spiritual thing, and she had to subdue her flesh and. You know, often we've got to put aside our natural inclinations to see God work. You know, the natural inclination of survival, the natural inclination of self-preservation. I remember the first item I, I sang, you know, I was I was mentioning to some of you this, uh, this week that my first real ministry in the church was in, in music. And I love the fact that we can sing praises to God. So I was able to see. I remember I used to get so downright nervous. And I would sweat, you know. I was this teenager who was still trying to find his voice right. I was still breaking my voice. And, and I remember standing there. It was my first group, you know, group song. And it was in an ensemble. And I just was, uh, that morning I woke up. I warmed up. I, I, I did my notes again. I was so paranoid about it. And you know what? It wasn't a blessing because I was too focused on me. And I forgot the spiritual side of music. It was to praise God. And I've learned that since. But you see that, that she had to put away her natural inclinations to see and sense God's great power. You know, she had to master her feelings. And, and that's, that's where sometimes the key is. You know, to overcome her insecurities, you've got to master your feelings. Because, what, what it is when you step out? Sometimes there's no net. Sometimes it is sink or swim. And, and in that, you've got to overcome your feet. Uh, overcome. You've got to master your feelings. See, at the end, it was this: if I perish, I perish. And her feelings of fear and doubt, they had to be taken a hold of. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of uh, of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know, when when God gives us a thing to do, all your insecurities will come flooding into your heart and you've got to have those thoughts captive to the obedience of, of Christ. You've got got to allow God to capture those and hold those away and not allow those to hinder you. Uh, I understand feelings have their place. You know, we ought not to approach God without without the part that he's given us of emotion. But I want to tell you that it has its place and really it's the cart that's led by the horse. You know what feelings are? Feelings ought to come after truth is obeyed. And, and, and feelings can't lead you if you're going to do the uncomfortable and do the dangerous for God at times. You ask any missionary who's gone to another field who has to learn a language and meet new people, and, and sometimes through perilous jungles and all of that, you know what they have to do? They have to master their feelings. They've got to let that be subject. And uh, for us, even if it's feelings of inadequacy, anyone been there? Just inadequacy. Am I able to do this? Is is this what? I, is this really what I'm supposed to do? Feelings of inadequacy, fears of failure. That's a feeling. Feeling of pride. Why? Because it's self dependency. You've got to master those feelings. And how you feel, it isn't an excuse for doing wrong. And so. Esther had to overcome those three things. And I wonder where you're at today. You know, the great thing about this is is this through Christ, through Christ, he's answered all of those. You know that the Lord Jesus is the sum of all wisdom. He's wisdom personified. You understand that that he is the one that can give you the passion that you need to move from indifference to to action. He fills you that way. And, And the Lord Jesus... You know, he looks at our insecurities and he completes us. And listen, I don't know where we're at today, but like I said this morning, uh, at the beginning, we're we're here for such a time as this. And I wonder if we would just simply say, Lord, I want to be used. And I, I'm I'm willing to to ask you to just help me to overcome these things in my life, help me to to understand more, help me to see the reality, help me not to be unknowing or ignorant about certain things that that help me to see the problem, help me to see those opportunities. Lord, help me with my indifference. I don't want to just be apathetic to the cause. I don't want to be apathetic to the Bible anymore. I don't want to be apathetic to those things that ought to be the the markers of a good Christian. I don't want to be insecure. Lord, those insecurities, I want to die to self so that you can use me. Because there's no one else, church. The world can't help itself. But the church can help the world. Let's pray, Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you, dear Lord, for the time that we have. And Lord, thank you for the lessons in Esther. We understand that, Lord, we're not living in Esther's time and we don't have the same issue at hand. But Lord, we see that the, the great principles in there about Lord stepping forward in the in the time that we're needed. And so I pray that you'd help us, dear Lord, that just to to recognize perhaps some of these barriers in our own lives. Help us to understand, Lord, the things that we must overcome if we're going to be truly used by you. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. We're going to have a, the piano just begin to play. And we're going to have our time of invitation this morning. And no doubt there's some here who really you desire to be used. And you desire to, to just see God do something with your life. and perhaps this morning you're going to recognize what what hindrance what thing you have to overcome and maybe in in just the the quiet time right now perhaps even here at the altar you just come before the Lord say Lord here's my here's the thing that's that I need to overcome help me with that Lord help me with knowing help me with with um with with my indifference help me with Lord just my insecurities there's things that I'm just and as a piano plays, would you just let the Lord speak to you this morning? Whatever the Lord wants to work in your heart about. Maybe it's just a determination to be used by the Lord. Maybe it's just a reminder that you do. You're called. And you're called to work a work for Him. So church, let's do business with the Lord this morning as a piano plays.